You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. In this series called The Jesus Church, what if we adopted a view of the church that's based more on our opinions or our own experiences in the church rather on God's intentions for the church? What if? I feel like many times that we have, we've adopted a view or our faith in the church is based on our own experiences where people have failed us and the church throughout church history has failed in huge ways, scandals and, um, and genocide in the name of Christ, all these horrific things which I do not for a moment condone. But what if we begin to adopt a view of the church, a much lesser view of the church based on all those experiences rather than on God's intentions, what he set in motion. This morning is actually Pentecost Sunday. A very important chapter in God's story of the church, his redemptive plan through the church, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So praise God that we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to contend in this church for the fullness of what God has for us. And we're not going to play victims. We're not going to sit on the sidelines of our city or in this world. We're going to we're going to run to the front lines and say, God, fill us with power to accomplish something great for this day. That's the Jesus Church. So this morning, I specifically want to talk about how inherent in the Jesus Church is our initiative, or our, sorry, our mission, our mandate to make disciples. God has called us all to be disciple makers, which is not something talked about very often in the church, especially in the Western church. There's a few there's a few that do ministry, that make disciples, and the rest are all spectators. The rest are all attenders. They're consumers. And I want us to turn that paradigm on its head. I want us to adopt God's paradigm for the church, which is much different. We're all fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus walks up to some fishermen. They think they know what fishing is. He says, hey, why don't you guys come follow me? I'm going to make you fishers of men. These are, these are men who made their living through fishing. It's probably the trade passed down through the generations. They know fishing. But Jesus says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I want to teach you a whole new way of fishing. I grew up fishing on the lakes of Minnesota. And I, I love fishing recently. I've been fishing a lot with my kids. Great memories are had out on the water. Honestly, just, there's something about just the tranquil like calmness of being out on the water. And, and then there's a, every once in a while a good, good fight with some fish, hopefully. Um, I love fishing. And I grew up thinking I knew fishing, lake fishing. And middle school, though, I took a trip to uh, visit a friend in Guatemala, Central America. And he told me his dad was a fisherman. It's like, awesome, I love fishing. I know fishing. Let's go fishing. So we drive to the, the Pacific coast, and we hop on his massive boat, um, which was, yeah, you could live on it for days. It was a yacht, essentially. And we went 25 miles out from the coast. You couldn't even see the coast anymore. And it was there on the water, the, the open, deep-sea uh, waters, that I learned a whole different way of fishing. Here we strap on belts, and you, you put these uh, hefty poles into your, latch them into your belt, and then you have a fight for 45 minutes until I pull out a behemoth, uh, blue marlin, over 100 pounds. You can throw that picture up there. This wasn't the first time I did it in middle school. This was uh, 12 years ago. No, this is how many years ago? Yeah, you do the math. 12 years ago. I caught this in college, so I went down there several times, but you catch barracuda, you catch mahi-mahi, you, you catch a blue marlin, 
and it's intense for 45 minutes. Your arms are sore. You, you have blisters on your hands. It's the rush of this massive uh, fight with this blue marlin. Much different than the tranquil calm of fishing on a lake in Minnesota. So I thought I knew fishing, but a whole new definition of, of fishing came my way, and I loved it. I would say that, that God wants to introduce to you a new way of church, a different way of church. What if, we, what if we had it wrong? What if we thought we knew what it meant to do church? What if we thought we knew what it meant to really follow God? What if there's more to it? What if there's more to the story? Jesus set in motion our mission 2,000 years ago, Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. That was our mandate, our mission. Go and make disciples. Not a few of you, you Go and make disciples of all nations. That is your mission. That is your mandate. That's ours together. And I want us to unpack that this morning. Because that's, a, that's a, a truth, a principle that's not often talked about in the Western church. So our, our main idea for this morning is that Jesus' church is a disciple-making church. We are disciples-making disciples. That's who we are. We are disciples. We're following Christ. It's part of our identity in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, we are disciples. We are followers. And we are making disciples. We all are. That's not relegated to a few of us. We are disciples making disciples. And I want us to unpack that this morning. I just want us to understand the origins of that, that idea disciple. Because that's not something common in the Western church, or in the, sorry, in the Western thinking either. We are, we are independent people. We all forge our own path. We all have to kind of learn from our own uh, bumps and bruises through life. But the, the path of a disciple is one who submits themselves to a teacher, kind of in line in the trades with the idea of apprenticing or apprenticeship. But in the, the intellectual or uh, spiritual realms, the idea of a disciple is one who comes under a teacher to learn their ways and eventually become like them. And so in Jewish cultures, we see it in the prophets. The prophets had these disciples, these followers who would learn the ways of the prophet to carry on the message in the ministry of the prophet, even after they passed. And then as we see, as we fast forward into the New Testament, we see the Pharisees and all the different religious parties had their disciples, these students. That word disciple, you can translate it for yourself since the word disciple doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us today. You can translate it student. We are students of Christ. We sit at the feet of Jesus and we learn his ways, his kingdom ways. That's why when he came and declared the kingdom of heaven, his three years of ministry was teaching us the kingdom ways. These are the ways of the kingdom of God. I want you to learn my ways of doing things. That is our identity. We are disciples. So we're not attenders, we're not consumers. We're not spectators, we're not bystanders, we are followers of Christ. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is still alive today. He's alive and well. 2,000 years ago, what he set in motion was this idea of going throughout Galilee and Judea, gathering these disciples unto himself. He had his 12 closest disciples, but he had he had other disciples outside of those 12. He had the 70. He had hundreds others. Up to 500 saw him post-resurrection. So that, that, that same Jesus is alive and well. And I would propose to you this morning that he's saying, come and follow me. He's saying, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm, I'm, you come and follow me. I'm going to teach you how to also make 
disciples. The mantra of our church is live the message. You see it many places around our church, and if you hang out with us a little bit, you'll hear more and more about it. The whole idea of living the message, we seek to be a people, we desire to be a people that live out the message of Jesus Christ every single day. And that is what it means to be a follower of Christ. See, if you're an attender, you can come on Sunday, and the rest of the day is, is disconnected, irrelevant to that attending. But when you're a follower, when you're a student of Jesus, when you're a disciple, it means Monday through Sunday, you're, you're learning his ways, you're trying to apply his ways and his message to, to everyday life, to your workplace, to the school, to your marriage, to your parenting of your kids, to your friendships. It all of a sudden, it gets infused into every aspect of your life when you're a real follower. When you're actually following after the footsteps of Jesus, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're always consistent in every way. But you're humbly sitting, setting your posture in a place of a student, saying, I want to learn your ways, God. I don't have it figured out yet, but I want to learn your ways. Around here, we also call it lifestyle Christianity. It's Christianity that's a lifestyle. So in order to fish, you, you have to get in the boat, and you got to get a line in the water. I can't say I'm going fishing and then stay on the shoreline and, and just say I'm, I'm fishing, when in actuality, I'm just kind of observing from the sidelines watching others fish. First of all, i got to get out on the water so I can get to the places where the fish are at. But then even if I'm putting around the, the lake on my boat, but I don't actually have a line in the water, I'm not yet fishing. And many of us confuse what making disciples, what it actually means. And I, I this morning, want to give you a full invitation, in, uh, an unhindered, like an unencumbered invitation to say, come and learn what it means to be a disciple maker. God believes in you. And he's saying, come and follow me. He gives you that mandate. Go and make disciples. You can do it in your realm, in your sphere of influence. From day one, when you say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, you can instantly start becoming a disciple maker. That's what I believe. And we're going to unpack that here this morning in Acts chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 19. We see in this passage, actually, you don't see it. That's why I'm going to give you the context. This is the context. Acts chapter 19 we're like 35 years into uh, church history. The early church, actually 25 years, so it's around 55 AD. This is Paul's third missionary journey. So the, the church has been around a little bit. Throughout all these um, passages in the book of Acts, we're just getting snapshots. The highlight reel of the early church. But just because it's the highlight reel doesn't mean it's um, inaccessible to us nowadays. God gives us snapshots to intrigue our senses and to intrigue our faith into the fullness of what he's called us to. In Acts chapter 19, still 25 years now into early church history, we still get a, a, a glimpse at what they value, at how they do life, of how they do ministry. Let's catch, let's uh, dive into this and, and get just a glimpse of what they value. Let's pray before we do that. Lord, right now we just ask that your word would penetrate our hearts. There are some in this place that would think they are disqualified from being a disciple maker. But God, I pray that would just be obliterated this morning, God, that there would just be a, fre a fresh sense of your call upon our lives to fully walk out our faith seven days a week in all of our spheres of influence and in our context 
But Lord, you are putting a mantle upon us to, to simply bring people along in the journey. God, I pray you'd take us there. Pray your word would come alive in a fresh way in your mighty name. Amen. Let's read this, Acts chapter 19. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid, hands, or laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Just a quick snapshot, quick glimpse at this two-year uh, stint of ministry of Paul in the region of Asia, and Ephesus specifically. But this is much different than the church in the 21st century. You see, right away in verse 1, how does he categorize the people that he meets? He says, oh, these ones are disciples. These ones are followers of Christ. That word disciples, we don't use much today. We use the word, more readily, we use the word Christian. I'm a Christian. But I believe so much has been tied to that word Christian over the centuries that it's lost much of its meaning. You can run into a whole slew of people, they say they're Christian. It may not mean the same thing that you mean. But Dating back before Christian was this word disciple. Primarily, they were saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Paul recognized that. He said, these are disciples. And right away, he got in the trenches of life with these disciples, and he realized, oh, they didn't have it quite, their understanding quite right about the things of Jesus. They were a little confused about baptism. They were a little confused about, or they hadn't even heard of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're missing out on a huge aspect of life um, post the, the good news of Jesus. And so he began just walking alongside them. I want right now to free you from the um, sense of needing to be qualified to be a disciple maker. Because you see, Paul was not making a disciple unto himself. And so right away, you could maybe have some hesitations to jump into the idea of being a disciple maker. You say, I can't have a disciple of myself. I'm not there yet. And, and there's also kind of a presumptuous feeling to that. I have my disciples, your little posse that follows you around. You can free yourself of that idea. You're not making disciples unto yourself. Instead, you're making disciples unto Jesus. You're simply pointing people to Jesus. And you can have just a small contribution in someone's life to point them and spur them on a little more in their walk with Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. But I want you to see here in this passage how Paul identified people as disciples. And I want us, before we even dive in more into the idea of being a disciple maker, I want us to cling to our identity as disciples. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our identity. It's part of our identity. We are sons. We are heirs. We, are, we, co, we uh, co-labor with Christ. Those are all aspects of our identity. But part of our identity 
when we put our faith in Jesus is we are followers, we are disciples, we are students of Christ. We sit at his feet and we seek to learn his ways and apply his teaching and his uh, way of life to our life. That's part of our identity. And I think some people get a little confused, like they have to make a choice between the radical, amazing grace of God like we sung about and obedient, uh, o- the obedient lifestyle of a disciple. It's like, are we, are we proclaiming contradictory messages here? <laughs> are, are they compatible? I want to say 100% they are compatible. This is the beauty of what it means to really encounter the love of God. See, it's the radical grace of God that calls us, that draws us in, that says you are loved, that you are accepted, you are my son, you are my daughter, beyond what you have done. It's unmerited, it's undeserved. And it's our obedience and our then desire to sit at his feet as a disciple. That's our response to that radical grace. They fit beautifully together. You don't have to choose either or. Never once is that that response, that, that obedience, something that earns his grace, his grace is there. It's a, it's a steady force of your life. It's the thing that gives you a soft heart to receive the words of truth right now. Any moments where you've caught glimpses of who God is in your life, that's the grace of God upon your life. To have a soft enough heart to catch glimpses of who God is in all of his creation and his message spoken over your life. And then... As you encounter the love of God, our response to that is to sit sit at his feet as a student. I would contend that our level of revelation of the grace of God is directly correlated to then our response to it. We're going to respond wholeheartedly to sitting at his feet and seeking to be obedient to this God who's been uh, utterly revealed to us in a real way. So I'll just give you a little glimpse here in Scripture. In Acts chapter 6, it's the first usage of the word disciples in the book of Acts. That is in the story of the early church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. That was a descriptor of what it meant to to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now they're disciples. They are followers. You're not a generic Christian. You're not uh, an attender. You are a disciple. You are a follower. And just a few verses later in in verse 7, then Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It was disciples. That was their mandate, and so that's what they were were expecting would become of this uh, encounter with the love of God. They would become followers. They would become disciples. And it's not until Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that we see this word Christian. This label, Christian, to describe what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says, In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So our identity first, and I would just say that, you know, in our culture, Christian doesn't mean a whole lot. And so oftentimes, saying you are a Christian may not register with people. Some some people register with, or they identify as a Christian because of family heritage, or politically they, they affiliate as a Christian for whatever reason. But I would separate ourselves from that term in our modern day because it doesn't really mean very much. And I would tr- try to draw us back to our roots, which is that of disciples. We are primarily followers of Christ. We are students of Christ. It dates back further than that term Christians, and I want us to cling to that identity 
Being a disciple of Jesus is the best way to live. To sit at his feet and to learn of his ways. Paul could say that with confidence. Paul had it all. Paul was well-to-do. Paul, The apostle Paul, that is, he was... He had influence. He, he was a man of authority. He had the best education. He sat under a scholar named Galileo. So, so he had the best education money could buy. But then he encountered the love of Christ. And in comparison, everything the world would acclaim as significant and successful and great, he said, now in Philippians chapter 3, he says, now I consider all garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Compared to the, the greatness of sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, as a student, all that pales in comparison. It's garbage, it's rubbish, he says in some translations. That's Paul's perspective. And some people get bored with the idea of following Christ. That's because they haven't tasted it, they haven't seen it. What it means to, to learn about Christ more and more. For him to reveal who he is day after day. For him to apply his truth and his message and his ways to your life. There's no better way, and Paul would attest to that. There's also the example of Matthew, the, the tax collector, who Jesus calls to be one of his disciples. His name was Levi before Jesus called him. But he was a tax collector. That means he made his living, his significance, his success, was built on a system of foreign taxation, a foreign government, taxing his people, so he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, abandon my people, I'm going to go work for this foreign government and tax my people, and I'm mostly going to do it in a dishonest way as well, and I'm going to make a little extra off the, off the top for myself. That was his paradigm of, of living. No, no, uh, no sense of self-value, it was completely self-serving in every way until he encounters the love of Christ. And he gets up from his tax collecting table, his booth, and he says, I'm going to follow you. For him, that was now everything. After he encountered the love of God, he locked eyes with his Savior, and he said, okay, I don't want to need that anymore. Now I, I want to follow you, Jesus. I just want to be a student of you. And that was the story for hundreds of other of these disciples, of these students. So cling to your identity as a disciple. It's not your neighbor's identity. If you put your faith in Jesus, it's your identity. You are a disciple. You are a student of Christ. You sit at his feet and you learn his ways and you desire to be like him. That is the, the life of a disciple. But the second part of that statement is we are disciples, we're making disciples. The second part of this, making disciples, is not so much our identity as much as our, the fruit of our identity. We, we, we seek to sit at his feet, and as a result, we so desire others to come along with us. We so desire to see others experience things that we've experienced. And this is actually the main emphasis of this passage in Acts chapter 19, so I, wanna, I want us to break this down. Because the main emphasis of Paul's lifestyle was this student sitting at the feet of Jesus and bringing others along in this pursuit of Jesus. So right away, he distinguishes between those that are disciples and those that are not. Later in verse, verse 8, he says he goes to the synagogue to teach. He realizes they're not disciples. So what does he do? He begins to talk to them about the things of God, about the, the ways of Jesus. That's part of disciple-making, giving people an opportunity to respond and acknowledge Jesus as Savior. But what does he realize? He realizes they're stubborn, they're hard-hearted. So he moves on. 
That's part of disciple making. It's discerning where is that the good soil? Where can I plant these seeds of the goodness of Jesus Christ? I want them to taste and see what I've seen and tasted. So you, you give them a glimpse, but when you realize it's hard soil, you can move on in good faith. And he moves on to the hall of Tyrannus. It's there in the hall of Tyrannus that he begins to minister for a long time because it's, it's fruitful soil. It's good soil. Part of his disciple making in this passage was teaching them the ways of the Lord, clarifying questions that they had. They didn't quite understand baptisms. They're like, well, we've been baptized the ways of John. John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. Jesus' baptism is a baptism of response of the work of Christ in our lives. And so part of Paul's disciple-making was coming alongside them and clarifying, saying, no, this is, this is actually a more accurate understanding of that. That's part of disciple-making. Is also then introducing them to the work of the Holy Spirit. Most scholars, and I believe Paul himself, acknowledged them as believers even before they knew the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, which I think is um, an accurate description of many believers around the world. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, but they are completely oblivious to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so Paul comes alongside them, not above them and um, uh, casting condemnation upon them, but alongside them and says, no, actually, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He said it was going to be better if, if he leave and he send the Holy Spirit. You're missing out on part of what it means to actually live in relationship with God. And he lays his hands on them, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible encounter right then with the work of the Holy Spirit. That's part of discipleship. It's helping other people realize and understand other ways or other aspects of their walk with Christ. That's disciple-making. And I have a vision for our church that we'd be full of people, full of people in different places in their journey with Christ, but everyone feeling activated with the ability to encourage other people in their walk with Christ. You can actually encourage people in their walk with Christ that are further along in their journey with Christ. By telling them things that God is teaching you and by asking them questions, you can learn from one another. You can both be students for Christ, students of Christ in this pursuit of God. So quickly, just three ideas from this passage of what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples. Disciples acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is what categorizes disciples apart from unbelievers is you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's part of the identity that you get through the good news of Jesus Christ. You're now a student. Congratulations. Therefore, we give others that opportunity. You've tasted and seen something so good, so amazing, that you want to give other people an opportunity to do that. And I want to activate you in that idea in your life in your spheres of influence, in the workplace. It's as simple as wanting others to, to catch a glimpse or to, to have an opportunity to experience something that you've experienced. That idea of being a witness is simply just telling about, giving the facts of what's happened in your life. You're not putting their beliefs down. You're not saying what they've experienced. You're not invalidating it. You're simply being true to what you've witnessed, to what you've experienced. I had a challenging example of that just this week with my son, who's a first grader. 
which I wish we would just keep it as simple as many of our kids do in this, in this realm especially. He told me of a conversation they had at the lunch table where a couple of the students were talking about how they believed there were many gods. And my son, Bryce, only eight years old, he said, I actually believe there's only one God, it's Jesus Christ. <laughs> he said that, and there began kind of a dispute then over the table. There were a few other students that said, yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ, he's, he's the only God. And there were a few others that said, no, I believe there are many gods. And he began to realize there was a division happening at the table. And so then Bryce said, he said this, he spoke up and he said, hey guys, I think we should stop this conversation. I guess that's, I don't think it's going anywhere. I was so proud of his leadership. But disciple making, especially with people that we live life with, which he lives, he lives life with these people every day of the week, he plants a seed of truth, which is that there is only one God, Jesus Christ. He begins to realize the situation, just like Paul realized the situation in the synagogue. Oh, maybe this isn't going the direction I thought it was going to go. And then you put the brakes on it. You step out. Disciple making is not just about closing a deal, okay? We're not, we're, not, we're not treating people like transactions. These are relationships. And as my son plays soccer with these kids, as my son goes to birthday parties with these kids, as my son just seeks to live a consistent life following after Jesus, they begin to realize these things. They put two and two together over time. And that is giving people an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus Christ themselves as Lord and Savior. And that's what I'm inviting you into. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. As you talk with your neighbors, you realize they have issues, many like you've experienced in your own life. And you realize, oh, I have a solution. I have an answer in Jesus Christ. As family members are going through marital issues or financial crisis, in those moments you can plant seeds that give them an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that is disciple-making. It's giving people that opportunity. And it doesn't need to be cold. It doesn't need to be transactional. It's relational. It's the heart of Jesus. Every moment, every situation is unique. And if you study the life of Jesus, you see all of his interactions with individuals were unique. It wasn't a script. And I want to free you in that. You be yourself in your spheres of influence. You be who God's called you to be as a follower of Christ. To love and just give people a glimpse of the love of God for yourself. I just invite you into that. Secondly, disciples are actively learning about the ways of Christ. It's that key part you're invited into when you say, I'm a follower of Christ. Now you're a student, like I've said. You sit at his feet. Therefore, we help others understand the ways of Christ more clearly. And that's what Paul did in this passage. He clarified baptism and he, he gave them an opportunity to have access to a whole, another aspect of their walk with Christ, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. That is disciple-making. And really, it's an only an outflow of your own experiences with Christ. We don't build our identity in this. No, instead, as we sit at the feet of Jesus, God reveals things to us, and we in interactions with others, in conversations with others, we see opportunities to insert those truths, to ask questions, to invite people along in, the, in our own pursuits, in our own relationship with Christ. That is disciple-making. To bring people along, to give people an opportunity to ask questions. And there are many opportunities like that all around us. In our church, with our kids, even with our spouse, we can pursue Jesus together. 
And that's all part of disciple-making. Thirdly, disciples are obedient. Therefore, we encourage others on in we encourage and spur others on in obedience. As obedient students of Christ, we we also when we see others maybe waffling a little bit, struggling through a, a trial or a difficulty or temptation. Part of disciple making is coming alongside them and spurring them on, encouraging them on. Much of Paul's ministry was this. Is that I, I believe God gives you enough. And many of his apostolic prayers were those prayers of perseverance and strength and grace to see them through. That's disciple making. That is a fun way to live, to come alongside people and help them through whatever it is they're facing. The obstacle, the issue, the temptation, the addiction. To see them through. That's disciple making and I believe you can do that. In your family, in your friendships, in your workplace even with other believers. That's disciple making. And many times in the context of life groups in our own church, we have the opportunity to do that. That's life on life disciple making. When people are really facing issues and we can challenge them, we can encourage them, we can spur them on. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. Ten years ago, I adopted a, a life verse that I just began praying over my life pretty much every single day. But it's Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5. I just want to share that with you. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And this prophecy says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue that I might have a word to sustain the weary. It says, Morning by morning he wakens me to hear like one being taught. He's opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. That has become my daily prayer that God would give me an instructed tongue. And actually, some translations say the tongue of a disciple. That every, he says, Isaiah, the prophet says, morning by morning, he, wakens, he, he wakes me up to hear like one being taught. What if that was our posture as a follower of Christ? Morning by morning, we'd wake up and we'd say, God, what do you have for me today? I'm just your student. I want to learn your ways. I want to walk in the ways of you more accurately what if? And inherent in Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus was the posture of a student, but also having something to sustain others. He said, give me the tongue of a disciple that I might have a word to sustain the weary. God feeds you. He fills you because he loves you more than you can comprehend. But he also feeds you and he loves you so you can love somebody else. So you can bring somebody else along with you. That's the, that's the good news of Jesus Christ that's resident in every single one of us. And I pray this morning that you sense the full invitation of heaven for you to be activated as a disciple maker. So this morning, a really exciting uh, announcement to make. My, my own story in Christ has been marked by a number of just like monument moments. I, I got baptized in water when I was nine years old. I came out of a broken home. But when I was nine, I got baptized in water. Significant moment. That's why I value so much the work that Nicole Gilson is doing with our kids. Just moments where kids experience Christ. They begin piecing their faith together for themselves. And Nicole is the best of the best. I say that. Not lightly. I really believe she's the best of the best. And she believes in our kids. And things she's teaching our kids downstairs is phenomenal. As I fast forward through my story, she, yeah, yeah. 
As I fast forward through my story, I get to middle school, and it was in middle school I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a significant moment. I really encountered the Holy Spirit for myself. As much through high school, I began to discover my gifts and how God could use even me. I didn't have a great self-image of myself, but middle school and high school are significant seasons. And so from the very beginning, when I stepped into this role now over a year ago, I had it in my heart to see a middle school, high school ministry launched in our church. A healthy community environment for, for our middle school and high schoolers to have where they can encounter Christ for themselves, where they can invite their peers and they can go after Jesus together. It's been my heart. It's been my vision. So I've been prayerfully just considering the next steps. And we've been meeting with some of the youth in our church and uh, it's been a ton of fun. But finally, we, we, we pinpointed some, some leaders that this morning we get to announce as our youth director. So Riley and Sheena Edwards right here in the center aisle. Would you guys come forward? I've known, I've known Riley and Sheena now for uh, five years. I mean, ever since their first year at Iowa State. I've known them. I've seen the work of Christ in their lives. Their lives transformed by the gospel and now become leaders, uh, not just on the campus ministry, but even in our church. And so it's been uh, an honor to see that they would be willing to help us launch this youth ministry. And so um, I want you to encourage them this morning and pray for them. And, I, and so the reason the kids are up here is they're going to help pray for Riley and Sheena and just kind of commission them in this new chapter. So I think the fourth and fifth graders are going to come. Is that right, Nicole? Yes. Yes. Powerhouse. I'm going to grab this mic from Miss Nicole. They got a big task ahead of them. This morning is also Michaela Tesdall, her birthday. Is that right? Sweet 16. Today is the day. So happy birthday to you, Michaela. We are gifting you with a youth ministry. We should have wrapped them up or something and put a bow on Riley's head. But happy birthday, Michaela. I'm going to have Nicole pray over Riley and Sheena in this new season. Could you just extend your hands all across this place? Lord, we just thank you and we give you praise, God, for this power couple, Lord, that you have um, prepared their hearts, God, um, to take on such, such an incredible and important task, God, that there are um, some incredible youth that um, they will be raising up. Lord, and I just saw this picture of them um, just taking off their own armor, their own helmets, their own breastplates, their own belts, God, and I see them handing their shields to these, to these young ones, teaching them what it's like to walk um, in faithfulness and in truth. And I see the Lord just giving them, um, just promoting them, taking them higher and higher into places of authority where they're going to be able to um, just surrender and lay their lives down for you, God, and that other people are going to get to use their ceiling as their floor, that they're going to be able to go further than they ever could because these guys surrender and they lay down their own lives for others, Lord. So we just bless their sacrifice, God. We know that fire falls on sacrifice, and we thank you for the sacrifices that they have made for those um, to go before them, to go further than they ever could, Lord. So we just praise you and thank you and bless these two in all their endeavors, God, and we thank you for the youth, and we pray just um, your favor and your blessings, God, that they would be able to bring more and more in in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.